Escape the cold and earn your bling this spring at the 2023 Baptist Health 305 Half Marathon and 5K, produced by Lifetime. On March 5th, get a unique taste of Miami on a course filled with spectacular views. Starting and ending on Ocean Drive in famed South Beach, participants will enjoy 13.1 or 3.1 miles in paradise, topped off with a post-race beach party you'll never forget. Register today at 305halfmarathon.com. Welcome to the Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Each week, Canadian running staff writer Maddie Kelly and I bring you the news, results, and drama from the exciting world of running. This is The Rundown. Hello, ShakeOut listeners. Happy December. Welcome back to The Rundown. Hello, co-host Maddie Kelly. How are you doing? Hello, Kate. I'm doing very well. Very excited about the guest we have on today. As am I. So let's jump right into it. Again, today on The Rundown, we're going to do a recap of the recent results, as always. But we are also joined by a very special guest who has been wildly successful this season on the track, the roads, and the cross-country course. Also a good friend of your two co-hosts of the show, as she has spent quite a bit of time with both of us, um, quite intimately on some national teams. Julianne Staley was the Canadian 1500-meter champion this past summer, then kicked off her fall season with a win at the Canadian Road 5K Championships in Moncton, went on to win the prestigious Sugar Run Pro 5K in Memphis with a new personal best on the roads of 1533. That was a race that I very much had the pleasure of both calling and cheering her on in person at. And then most recently, she added a third Canadian title of 2022 to her resume with a victory at the National Cross Country, otherwise known as the ACXC Championships, just under two weeks ago in Ottawa. And in doing so, she punched her ticket to the World Cross Country Championships taking place in Australia in the new year. Holy cow, that's a mouthful. She also just returned from a very well-deserved vacation, and we so appreciate you joining us today, Julianne. Welcome to the ShakeOut. I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. So first of all, you had quite a year. You joined a new training group, the team New Balance Boston, last fall. You competed at the World Indoor Championships, which I can't believe was this year in the 3000. You were then crowned, like I said, the 1,500-meter champ outdoors, raced at the Commonwealth Games, and then had this like unbelievable series of results this fall. Um, I know you've been enjoying the start to your downtime. Tell us about your recent trip. Yeah, so I just got back um, from Mexico with one of my best friends. Um, I just decided this was the time to really just shut down and take some you know, deliberate recovery um, after a full season. I my summer was sort of cut short. So this fall was really the focus. And I tried to make the most of um, the last three months. So it was sort of foot on the gas since September. And uh, yeah, it was nice to get away for a little bit. Take us through like the past few months have been great. But why don't we start sort of in the spring? Because you unfortunately had an injury. So tell us about that. And then how you pivoted from there to have a very successful late summer, early fall. Yeah, it's definitely like after you finish the season, you kind of you look at the whole year and you kind of look where you started and, you know, the middle part of it and then how it finished. And now with, you know, coming out on top, you kind of forget about the the moments that it wasn't going well. And I think in the spring and in, in May, June, you know, it was 
questionable whether I would have a summer. Worlds was off the list because I couldn't run uh, the trials. So with that stress reaction, it was just sort of new territory. But I think, you know, 2021 was crazy. And I think it took everything um, to make that Olympic team. So I think there was a little bit of this rebound period going into, you know, 2022. So everything considered, I think it was, it was an sort of this back and forth a little bit of figuring out, you know, how I am going to best plan the season ahead and, you know, not having a full summer. I think that just led into a fall that, you know, I had good base training going in. I was able to really focus. It's usually the best weather in terms of running. And um, from September until end of November, I basically lined up um, a few 5Ks before the cross-country championships. I, there was this sort of like goal of mine to 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 be able to get as close as I could to the uh, Canadian 5k road record of 1516. That didn't happen. Um, I, you know, I think it was within reach. I think I was capable of it. But once I let that sort of um, stress go, I think I had a totally different mindset going into the 10k in Ottawa. And I think the biggest thing I've learned thinking about this whole year is just like, never not have fun, never in, not enjoy, um, you know, every race experience that you have. And, you know, don't put extra pressure, don't get more nervous than you need to. It's just, you know, enjoy those opportunities when you're healthy and you're able to to toe the line. So I would say that 10K was just basically having fun, just rolling around on the course and just, yeah, enjoying it. Okay. So first of all, Maddie and I I feel like Maddie and I are like having this constant conversation about how every successful person we've spoken with on the pod lately has been like, you have to enjoy it. You have to have fun. Enjoy the process. Be grateful. And like fantastic, consistent messaging. And it's like clearly not a fluke, right? All of these really successful runners have had this common theme. Um, I know that one of the things that has seemingly really added to your joy, Julianne, at least from your posting, is that you've joined this new training group, right? You're a full year now into training with Team New Balance Boston. I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of what that's like, first of all, and then also what are some of the key factors that you think have really added to your success this year? Because like to be a 1500 meter, like I would almost say specialist, but then also be able to win a national title at 10K cross country, like that's incredible range. So maybe talk us through a bit what it's been like training with this with this group and, and what some of the keys to success have been for you. Definitely. I think it's taken me a year to really get settled in. And since September of 2021, moving to Boston, joining the new group, having new coaching, the new team, everything, it's it's sort of that shift. And I think up until this point, it was, you know, making an Olympic team. And that was the absolute goal. And I think the months following that, and then, you know, making World Indoors last spring, it was sort of this like, you're still looking at like, oh my gosh, you know, you need to still be performing, still pushing, like what's the next level up. But then I think after the injury and kind of like looking at, you know, taking a step back a little bit and just thinking like, this is the goal. Like I've, I've already achieved the thing I've wanted to do. And now it's just like enjoying that aspect of being able to run every day, say that this is your job. This is your nine to five. This is what you get to do. And now I'm just lucky enough to share that with you know, 10 other people and, you know, being in a really cool city and having that experience, like, I just never take it for granted. And I think just making that shift in my mind that I don't have anything to prove, but I just have everything, you know, to be able to, you know, give this my best possible shot and see, you know, what my potential is. And 
of course you want to be one of the best. Like, of course you want to be, you know, making a Olympic final and, you know, being standing up on the podium. All of that is incredible, but it is something that recently just resonated. Like, you know, running fast doesn't necessarily make you happy. And I've had races that, you know, were great performances, but I never necessarily, you know, felt any more content after that. And I think it's, it just goes to show that if, if you're not, you know, in the process and that day to day, if it's not something where you feel like you're well supported, you have people around you that you, you know, feel comfortable with and close with, and um, you're doing something that you genuinely feel is meaningful to you, then it's not worth it. And whatever it is, whatever price tag, whatever's on that, it's, it's just not worth it. So luckily, I found something that I can, you know, call my passion and now sort of a profession and uh, yeah, to see where the next couple of years go. Well, and I also think like, you bring up such an interesting point of almost having a bit of a crisis after you accomplish this big thing you wanted to accomplish. And then you can go one of two ways, right? Like you can like let yourself enjoy what you've worked for, or you can just be like time to turn that dial on up. And when you're performing at this elite of a level or, you know, whether you've got a promotion or like whatever it is in your life you've been working towards, you're probably already very high functioning. Like I don't actually know what like turning the dial more necessarily does and so that's that's so nice to hear because I mean we've all had a similar experience and I was struggling with a similar thing last year and someone just looked at me and they were like what if you just enjoyed yourself what what if you just enjoyed this thing you've worked so hard for which sounds so simple but you can forget it it's a very very good reminder for for everyone definitely so on that note, um, first of all, everyone should follow Julianne. She's an excellent Instagram follow. You wear your heart on your sleeve quite a bit in your posts. Going back almost a year ahead of your 28th birthday, you shared this really candid and personal post about how different you felt then compared to your 20-year-old self. And it was sort of this combination of like your athletic success and then some body image stuff and then like just kind of your overall happiness, which you've been speaking to. Maybe you can take us through some of the most impactful differences between those two versions of yourself and any like key pieces of advice you might give to especially younger female runners. Yeah, it's if it feels so simple some days and then some days you just feel like you're, you know, questioning things and, you know, it's sort of you you get into the spiral of, you know, am I capable? Am I able to do this? And I think the biggest difference over the last 10 years when I think about, you know, my career it almost feels like I'm the least, you know, uptight or, you know, elite almost, even though I've made this level, but I feel like I've been able to relax into it. And just going back to thinking about, you know, with my teammates now, like, this is my world and everyone is sort of at this level. So I'm almost fine, just sort of just comfort in that as opposed to, you know, where you feel like you always have to be pushing. And in university, I think it was just you know, you're still trying to figure out where you can go with the sport. And it was at that time in my career, I think it was my first dip into running full time. In high school, I wasn't training every day. I wasn't, you know, putting in the mileage. I think it's different now with, you know, athletes who are coming through the system. They're just, they've already experienced what it's like to train at a, you know, high performance level. So, I think at least my trajectory, I never take for granted that I, you know, always sort of worked within the level I was in. I always maximized the level of competition at that point. I never looked too far ahead, but, um, you know, come second year university, it was just sort of like, 
this narrow focused approach of going all in and losing sight of sort of the other aspects of my life that made me whole. And it's like this kind of losing your light a little bit in, in, in just, just being solely focused on, on that performance. And I think because of good coaches, because of good teammates and friends and support, I was able to get through that and, and come out on the other side, you know, being a better athlete. But even after university, there was, you know, questioning of like, do I continue pursuing this? You know, is this something I want to do? And I think it's, you just always have to come back to like, you know, giving yourself that chance. And it's, it's just crazy to think like, you know, now I'm looking at photos of, you know, myself running and it's just like how your perspective changes of, you know, what your body's capable of. And I don't look at it anymore as something, you know, I need to push into a certain way or, you know, be a certain look. And I think that change has just been like really empowering. And I, I steal for Corey Belmore all the time, but like my strength is my strength. And now that I can translate that from like a 1500 into, you know, 10K, I would say 5K would still be my, my specialty, but, um, I don't really think there's any limit there. And I, and I really do just believe like if you give yourself what you need and take care of your body, like it's, yeah, that's the most important. Strength is strength. I love that. I want to follow up on that, Julianne, because you've just sort of spoken a little bit more broadly to like a philosophical approach to sport and how it fits into, you know, the, the broader part of your life. I think those mess- that messaging is so important. Um, I'm wondering if if there's anything kind of from that that in a more acute way played out for you this season. So for instance, I'm thinking like, I know that you had that goal of breaking Emily Mondor's uh, almost 20-year-old now record of 15-16 on the roads. And I believe that that was your goal going into the Road to Hope Hamilton Marathon Weekend 5K. You were pretty candid about being disappointed with the outcome. And I wasn't there to watch that. But I will say, one week later, I was in Memphis at the Sugar Run watching you in this really like self-empowered, relaxed way run to not only a personal best, but a win against a really elite field. So how, is there anything there about like the contrast in the way that you approach races that you can speak to that leads to some more of that success as well? Yeah, it's like, it's a fine balance because you don't want to just go into something feeling like, you know, content or not putting your goals out. I think I've, I've really made an effort to be transparent and I'll, I'll tell my coach straight up. I'll be like, Mark, like, this is what I'm thinking. Is it realistic? And he usually gives me the benefit of the doubt. I think sometimes he's probably like, okay, this seems a little bit lofty, but let's go for it. And uh, so I appreciate that. But um, for me, it's it's sort of this in-between of, you know, approaching a race with a certain level of kind of goal setting. But also I think it's just more important to trust yourself that, you know, if, if you put in that training, you've put in that work, there's no point in putting that extra pressure of this ultimatum of run the record or bust, you know, and it was the same last summer. I never made it this sort of like Olympics or nothing. It was give yourself the best possible shot to achieve a standard or to achieve, you know, a time or a place or whatever it is. Like every time I step on the line, I want to win. That's, you know, of course, but I think as soon as you remove that additional piece and especially going into that cross country race, like I wouldn't say I was the favorite. There was multiple Olympians there. There was many excuses I could have given myself, but I think the more that you're just able to put that aside and, and just focus on you're capable of something and, and letting the rest just be part of the outcome. I think 
there's nothing else you can control because it's it's so relative when you're competing against other people you can't control anything else so even if you end up running you know a fast time or a good one like it it could still be 10th in the race especially at this level okay Jules with with all this in mind what was your approach for ACXC and just like how did that race unfold how did you feel during like before during after so before the race, I ended up going out for dinner with my parents and it was, you know, we were just having, you know, kind of pre-race chat, um, you know, predictions, what they're thinking. And it was funny because they hadn't even really put me into the top three. They were already kind of assuming, you know, we've got some marathoners, we've got, you know, Natalia Hawthorne's in there and Aaron Teschuk and, you know, Brandon McDougall, like it's, it's a good field. It's stacked. And they've seen all of these athletes run just from U sports and, and other uh, cross country races. So I just, I just thought it was funny because, you know, not picking their own kid over top of, you know, the competition. And, um, but I think for me, it then that just makes me even more excited. And also it takes the pressure off too. You know, if you're, if you are the defending champion, uh, you can only lose, you can only have that title taken away. So I was coming into this not having run a cross country race since 2018, um, which would have been in Kingston, I believe. And uh, 10K, so we're doubling the distance. I have not done any 10K stuff specifically this season. Um, I have not done any hill training this season. And I ran on the grass a couple times. So I was just, you know, I was just thinking like, don't worry. Like, it's it's going to be fine. The body will remember, you know, you're going to step on the course. You're going to be fine. Um, but more than anything, it just felt like this sort of, perfect finish to the year of like bringing together all your favorite people coming back home to Canada, racing in the capital, you know, people from Ottawa and Queens. Like it was just, it was really neat to have that, you know, crowd and it's fun. Like it's not track is high pressure. There's a lot of feedback. There's a lot of, it's, it's very, you know, designed to be as, you know, fast as possible. Whereas the cross country course it just ends up being this like, you know, you have to be smart, but you're running in the pack and you're not doing any more work than necessary. And that was basically my mindset. I told my coach, you know, we have 30 plus good minutes of hard running. So until 8K, until, you know, 25 minutes, I I hope that I can just make this feel like as much of a workout as possible. And, you know, it was... 3k and then once I was in the lead then at that point I was like okay you know you can't fall asleep you have to make sure you're you know foot on the gas and not letting up but I have never felt so good I don't think running um in a race I just it just felt like effortless and yeah I can't you know everything has to come together on that day and I wouldn't necessarily say I was fitter than anybody else on the start line but I just happened to have that day and you know coming into the finish it's one of few races that you can just sort of enjoy that every 5k if you know if anyone's seen photos I'm going to the well and <laughs> this was this was uh one of the moments that I could maybe look a little bit more polished at the finish line well and there's also like you can only take yourself so seriously when you're sort of trudging through mud like there is just like an inherently silly part about cross country that makes the whole thing a little bit fun you know we should quickly mention that Natalia Hawthorne as you mentioned finished in second place 22 seconds behind you in 34-34. And Victoria's Caitlin Ayers was third and her first time on an ACXE podium in 34-48. And Julianne, this also qualifies you 
for the World Cross Country Championships in the new year in Australia, which is just so exciting. You know, we mentioned that your post about turning 28 was just over a year ago. You're turning 29 on the 21st of this month. And as you head into your last year of your 20s, what are you most excited about on the horizon? Um, is, you know, World Cross part of that plan? And what else are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, if I can make, you know, another Olympic team, that would be really cool. But I think in the next, you know, 2023, looking ahead, it's, uh, I would say just go all in and, you know, whole heart kind of thing. Like it's, there's so many cool opportunities and something like Australia, like I just, when do you ever get to travel like this for something that you love to do with people that are some of your best friends and looking ahead to the, to the summer season, obviously world outdoors is happening in Budapest. There's the Pan Am games in El Salvador. So it's, you know, there's always a lineup of, of things, but I think the, the day to day, the in-between, um, I just want to be the best teammate I can. I just want to, you know, know that, you know, every day I'm putting in, like I, I'm grateful for that and hopefully avoid as much injury as I can. But um, I think, yeah, my 20s have been pretty full. I, I've, you know, no regrets in terms of what I've done so far. And I think that's just something I want to continue is just, you know, filling the time as best as I can. Outside of like ACXE, which is for sure a highlight, just like hit us with a few other really good memories from 2022, running or otherwise. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go otherwise. It's, uh, you know, got a lot of running. <laughs> good friends of mine. So seven of us from university, we all live together, but we went on a canoe trip this summer to Algonquin Park, which is very rural, um, Northern Ontario and, you know, portaging, enjoying the sort of outdoors. And that was an awesome weekend. And we'll be getting together over the Christmas break as well. We always make a point of that. So that to me is really special because those are friends that are like family now. And uh, yeah, I would say the last week spent in Cancun, just doing anything but running and just not even thinking about it. I think that was just awesome and feeling kind of rested for the holidays. And again, I just, you know, it's, it's time, like quality time spent with people. And because I'm not living in Canada, it's really important when I come home, I'm just, I'm present and getting to, to just be with the people that I care about. I can't think of a much better combination of like non-running things than being in a remote Northern Ontario campground and then on a beach. So that sounds awesome and super well-deserved. Um, but again, just enormous congratulations on a very successful year and especially a wildly successful fall. So wonderful having you on to share these really important perspectives with us and you know, we'll be following along and wishing you the very best uh, with your team, New Balance Boston, and of course, your Canadian teammates for World Cross in, in the new year and everything else that's yet to come. Thank you so much for joining us on The Shakeout, Julianne. Thanks for having me on. Well, hearing from ACXC women's winner Julianne Staley, of course, always thrilling. But Maddie, there was so much more that happened on that cross-country course in Ottawa two weekends ago. Absolutely. So in the men's race, we have Connor Black of Forest, Ontario, who won his first senior title in 29.38. He beat defending champion John Gay, controlling the final three kilometers of the race to beat the Olympic steeplechase finalist who finished second in 29.49. And then in third was U-Sports champ Max Turek of McMaster, who finished in 30.01. 
So Black was 10th last year and said that he came into this race with a lot more confidence, better rested, and with a desire to put his London Western team on the podium. And the team did exactly what they set out to do. Not only did they win the team title, but they also set an ACXE course record of 20 points with four runners in the top 10, which is so impressive because for the uninitiated with cross country, you're looking for the least amount of points as opposed to the most amount of points. Black is also very excited about representing Canada at the World Cross Country Camps in Australia, which I honestly, as obviously I'm not looking to run cross country at this stage, but I think about the only place that could sort of, I would consider doing it is Australia because also, my gosh, guys, think about those aeroplane points. Huge. Well, it's also been delayed for two years because of the pandemic, Maddie. So this is really exciting that finally... This is going to be four years since we last saw a World Cross Championships, which, of course, goes back to 2019 in our house, Denmark. Denmark. Super exciting. Yes. So I'm so excited for everyone who will be selected to that team. I think that sounds like it will be an absolute blast, especially you get to get out of the Canadian winter and go to sunny Australia, which sounds just lovely. It sure does. (laughs) On the junior side, the real story here was that in the junior men's 8K race, Queen's University teammates Jude Wheeler-D and Roman Mirnoff held hands across the finish line in this really beautiful display of sportsmanship and an attempt to share the win. So they said that when they realized that they were clearly in the lead in the last 200 meters of this race, they decided to celebrate together. They're both second years at Queen's University. They're, of course, training partners, but they're also roommates. It sounds like these guys have spent a lot of quality time together over the last several months. And after the race, Miranoff joked that, you know, after we trained together all season, shared the same toothpaste and body wash, we may as well celebrate together. Such a great story. Both men ran 25-13 for that 8K, but ultimately the win was handed to Miranoff. It sounds like they don't quite care. Their team did great. They did amazing as individuals. And then on the women's side, it was a 6K race for the U20 women. It was quite the opposite. So Aaron Fringer of St. John, New Brunswick, led from gun to tape from start to finish, winning by almost a full minute. She won by 58 seconds. She is a first-year student athlete at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And then in second place was triathlete Marika Couture of Quebec. She was second in 22.53. And then a very close third was Ella Ballard in 22.55. So great results across the board. Of course, this does close out our Canadian cross-country scene, but there were also, we should just give a quick nod to some pretty impressive Canadian women who ran very well south of the border at the NCAA cross-country championships. So south of the border in Stillwater, Oklahoma, Vancouver's Kaylee McCabe was the top Canadian in the women's NCAA race. She placed 24th for the West Virginia Mountaineers in 2003.2, right behind her in 2003.8, was Ontario's Graceland Larkin running for New Mexico and finishing in 26th. And New Westminster, BC's Grace Featherstone Hoff finished 31st for the Oregon State Beavers in 2009.8. So, like, even when you look at this separation, like, NCAA cross is so densely packed and so competitive. So for these women, for all intents and purposes, for these women to be top 30 is incredibly impressive. Like, you know, cracking the top 10 means you are in world-class, like absolutely world-class shape. 
Uh, so kudos to these women. And I feel very excited for them on the track. And coming off of those cross-country championships, we should also mention that Kaylee McCabe very recently, just as of this weekend, broke her own Canadian U23 3,000-meter indoor record. She did this at Boston University in the season opener for the indoor season on Saturday, and she ran a blazing 850.44. That was more than a two-second improvement off of her previous U23 Canadian record of 852.52. Again, she does compete for West Virginia University. This time also broke the school program record. Um, and it's just an excellent start to the season. So I'm sure we're going to see lots more from her moving throughout the indoor season and beyond. Moving over to the roads. The real story is that the Valencia Marathon took place over the weekend. And I have called it Valencia Marathon Madness, which seems like an understatement. There were absolutely perfect conditions in Valencia, and this is a notoriously fast course. It made for an absolutely historic day of racing. So winners Kelvin Kiptum of Kenya and Amane Bariso of Ethiopia became the third fastest marathoners in history for their respective sex categories. Third fastest ever on the men's side. Get this, Kiptum is only 23 years old. He ran a scorching 201.53 Okay, both of those points, super impressive already. Guess what? This was his debut. He's never raced this distance before. He came within spitting distance of the most elite marathoners in the world. Of course, Elliot Kipchoge, 201.09 world record, and Ethiopian Kenanisi Bekele, 201.41. Those two didn't even debut their marathons until their late 20s and early 30s. So there is all kinds of reason to believe that Kelvin Kiptum is just getting started. He went out strong with a pack of about seven, and then it got whittled down to about three, and he started looking like he was getting really frustrated, Maddie, kind of just past the halfway mark, and he was kind of like motioning to the other runners to come up and help him out. When they refused to share the lead with him, he was sort of like, all right, see ya, and took off, pulling away at 32 kilometers, never looking back, and closing in a 60-15 second half. Kudos to Tanzanian Gabriel Gay, who is second in a new national record of 203 flat. And then Kenya's Alexander Mutiso placed third in 203.29, which was also his debut marathon. So just to kind of round out the stats about how impressively fast this course is, and especially on the day, the top six men all broke 205 with the top 12 finishing inside 207. Well, and the wild thing is an equally unreal day on the women's side. For Amane Bariso, who ran a stunning time of 214.58. She's 31 years old, so she's much more experienced than the men's winner. But her previous PB was 220.48 from January 2016. She was not expected to win, but here we are. She now sits third on the all time list behind Bridget Cosguy and Ruth Chepengedich, who have both run 214 as well, just a little bit quicker. Another reason that she was not expected to win is that. Latessin Bet-Gide of track and field fame was making her debut. Gide is the world record holder in the 5,000, the 10,000, and the half marathon. And many people thought she might add the marathon world record to her collection. However, she ran the fastest ever women's debut, placing second in 216.49. So not a, not a bad day at the office, just not a world record in your debut, which honestly seems human. 
both Gide and Bariso said in post-race interviews they think they can break the world record in the future. And the top seven women all broke 220. Like, if that doesn't say everything you need to know about the state of women's marathoning right now, I don't know what does. It is so exciting. And also, just to add to this, Kate, did you see Sinead Diver? Speaking of like just like rewriting marathon expectations, Sinead broke the 36-year-old Australian record by almost a minute running 221.34. Sinead is 45 years old. It was a 2.5 minute PB. She was 12th overall and she finished 10th at the Tokyo Olympic marathon. And for our Canadian angle, do you know who's looking at that time and thinking I can do that? Melinda Elmore and Natasha Wodak. I guarantee it. And, And maybe a few others. And maybe a few others. Like it is just such an exciting time in women's marathoning and I feel like there's been such a leap as of late and I think women are catching up a hundred percent like I feel like every season the space between the men's world record and the women's world record narrows and that's just so exciting to me Further to that, our last piece of news from the roads from the weekend was that the California International Marathon, otherwise known as CIM, which doubled as the USA Track and Field Marathon Championships took place, and Paige Stoner not only won the women's race, but she set a new course record of two hours, 26 minutes, and two seconds. But there was another exciting result. So while Paige's story is very impressive. It's not the only exciting thing to come out of CIM. Megan Crifchin has had an incredible last basically five weeks. On November 6th, she ran the New York City Marathon in 240.52. On November 20th, she ran the Philadelphia Marathon in 231.41. And on December 4th at CIM, she ran 229.20. So to end three marathons in I think just over four weeks with a 229.20 is incredibly impressive. I'm very excited to see what this woman what this woman can do rested. Yeah, absolutely. She's a great Instagram follow. Um and she in her most recent uh post after CIM, she said, It's about friggin' time. I'm so happy to be part of the sub two thirty club in my third marathon in four weeks. Again, incredible result. Not something that is probably highly recommended for most people, but it sounds like she was really getting after a singular goal, finally achieved it, and great to hear that she's now going to get some rest. And like you said, speaking of rest, what can she do coming into you know another big race in the future, fully rested and not with two other marathons in four weeks under her belt? Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it was announced last week that Maddie, finally the goat of marathoning, the world record holder, the two-time Olympic champ, Mr. Elliot Kipchoge, will be running the Boston Marathon on April 17th, 2023. He is very famously on a quest to not only win all six Abbott World Marathon majors, by the way, he's already won four of those six, being Berlin, Tokyo, London, and Chicago, but he also wants to become the first marathoner in history to win three consecutive Olympic golds in that distance. Let's just say that the next couple of years are going to be absolutely thrilling following the goat of the marathon. And a final result to cover from the world of trail slash ultra. Big congratulations to Jerry Hughes of Victoria. He set a new Canadian 48 hour record early on Sunday morning. 
He ran 368.031 kilometers. That's just over 228 miles at the Fat Ox Endurance Run in Arizona. He's got this really great, you know, ultra background and resume as is, but this was his first national title. It improved upon Dave Proctor's record back from 2018, which was 358 kilometers. So bettering that by just over 10K throughout that 48-hour period. Jerry went into this with the primary goal of qualifying for the Canadian 24-hour team, and he was able to do that en route to this national record. So big congrats to Jerry Hughes and exciting to follow all of the ultra and trail results from the upcoming year. As the year winds down... I feel like a lot happened, but the year is winding down. And so Kate and I will be doing our annual recap of our favorite running moments from this past 12 months. Please send us your favorite running moments. Tweet at us, tag us on Facebook, email us, however you would like to get a hold. And we will be sure to include them in our wrap up episode. Can't wait for it. That'll be coming out in just about two weeks time. But for this week on The Rundown, I'm Kate. And I'm Maddie. And we'll talk with you once more in 2022. Take care, everyone. 